Welcome to the Process Breakdown Podcast, where we talk about streamlining and scaling operations of your company, getting rid of bottlenecks, and giving your employees all the information they need to be successful at their jobs. Now, let's get started with the show. All right, welcome everyone. John Corcoran here, co-host of the Process Breakdown Podcast, where we talk about streamlining and scaling operations at your company, getting rid of bottlenecks and giving your staff everything they need to be successful at their job. Some of our past guests, go check them out. David Allen of Getting Things Done, Michael Gerber of The E-Myth, and many more. And this episode, of course, is brought to you by Sweet Process. Have you ever had a team member ask you the same question over and over again? It's like the 10th time you spend explaining it. Well, there's a better way. There's a solution. Sweet Process is a software that makes it Drop dead easy to train and onboard new staff and save time with the existing staff. Not only do universities, banks, hospitals, and software companies use them, but first responder government agencies use them in life or death situations to run their operations. You can use Sweet Process to document all the repetitive tasks that eat up your precious time so you can focus on growing your team and empowering them to do their best work. You can sign up for a free 14-day trial, no credit card required. Go to sweetprocess.com, sweet like candy, S-W-E-E-T, process. Dot com. All right. Such a pleasure. We have today Michael Abramson, who is COO of Exponential Fitness. He's going to explain to us exactly what they do. He is a recovering lawyer like myself, which is a good thing because they manage 3,000 franchises, 1,800 open locations, incredible complexity. So we're going to dive into it here. But Michael, tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Sure. Yeah. So I've been with the company for about two years now. I came over as COO prior to this. I was president of D1 Training, a performance-based fitness company out of Nashville. Uh, before that, I had the misfortune of being a practicing attorney, where I loved my life every day, as most practicing attorneys do. Um, and uh, you know what I found is your actual passions lead you to better places. And so it's funny to say, but powerlifting has actually been the kind of the secret to my success, so to speak. When I was in law school, my mentor, who was the chair of the Young Lawyer section of the Chicago Bar and later the president of the Chicago Bar Association, he was GC at a couple of different multi-billion dollar insurance companies. He was into powerlifting, so I used to coach him in powerlifting. Uh, I'm a three-time national champion in powerlifting. My dad's a world champion. Um, wow. And so I coached him up. I got all these intros. Then I later started my law practice. He was my partner. He was president of the Chicago Bar. I landed D1 as a client. And uh, it was really a beautiful nexus of practice and training. And so I really excelled in the D1 environment. And that's actually how I ended up on the operations side. Uh, It was really my love for training. We had all these pro athletes coming in all the time, you know, we worked with Chris Paul and Peyton Manning and Tim Tebow. If they weren't a huge name, I didn't know who they were. I There's a great story of me uh, flying to San Diego to go meet up with Danny Woodhead. And my wife was on the trip with me and I had no idea who he was. So I had my wife Googling him in the car and telling me stats just so I could know him. Um, so, Cause for me, it wasn't really about the athlete. It was about the training. And that's how I ended up on the operations side. My passion for training got me more and more involved in strategic decision making because I grew up in the gym and my background lent itself to to really advising 
the CEO and, and COO of that company on what to do. And you worked your way up at that company. Just out of curiosity, you mentioned your dad was a world champion. Was there a, a weight amount that he lifted <laughs> that uh, led to that world championship? Yeah, so he um, his best lifts were at 242. Uh, when he was a 242 pounder, he squatted about 850. He deadlifted 755 and his bench was around 600. I can't remember all the, all the numbers, but his, I mean, I I had the good fortune of growing up with him as a dad and a training partner for 10 years. But then I also trained with some other phenomenal power lifters like Ray Benamarito, who is 15 time national champion, eight time world champion, Ray's little brother, Jimmy, who was a world champion, full contact stick fighter and multi-time national champion powerlifter. So I had all these guys around me that were disciplined and very technical and they helped coach me up. And then my dad won worlds at 275 um, in 1995. And he won for both drug tested and non-drug tested. So he beat guys using the juice and he beat guys not on the juice. Wow. (laughs) Interesting. Interesting. I didn't know those are two different categories in that sport. Wow. Oh yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Um, it'd be interesting if uh, other sports did it that way, wouldn't it? <laughs> it, it would with people yeah. being honest. I mean, it's, I don't care if you use or not, but it's one of those, it's like, Hey, don't put yourself in Just a position against yeah. other people not taking advantage of that. You, you mentioned discipline as something you learned from that. How has, does that help you in the work that you do now in operations and putting systems in place? So life is about discipline. You know, before Jocko Willink was famous, I used to say discipline equals freedom. That guy stole it from me. Um, <laughs> Jocko's listening. You can come talk to me about it. I'll work <laughs> with you on the license. I've actually, I, I learned that with my dad. My dad went 11 years without missing a single workout. When you make disciplined decisions, you don't limit yourself. You actually create opportunities and options. And that's really what I like to focus on. Whether So in business, as you make a disciplined decision, even if it's the tough decision, it will ultimately yield options in the future. Because if you make the lazy or short-sighted decision, it's going to limit your options in the future. There's actually a scripture that says no, uh, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but yields a harvest of righteousness. And that's kind of what I think about or this old Jewish proverb that says a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands and poverty will come upon you like a bandit. It's the incremental slipping that usually crushes you, not the one-time bad decision. Mm. It's funny. Um, I have a comfortable chair over my shoulder here in this office. And my wife asked me sometimes, do you ever want to crawl up and, and sleep on that comfortable chair? And I said, no, because if I do it once, it's it's a slippery slope and yep. it, and then it gets much worse from there. Um, let's talk about leadership and, and particularly leading, um, team members and emerging leaders below you. You've got, uh, the company's got 3000 franchisees. You've got about 700 people who work at the company, about 200 to 300 to work, uh, more in your area under your, your supervision. Um, talk about how that approach to discipline, how, you, how that merges with your approach to training up, um, leaders below you. And then we'll get into how that affects and how that uh, makes your life easier. Sure. So one of the key things is making sure you've got a really strong rhythm with all of your direct reports. So 
There's actually a system that we employed at D1 that I really enjoyed called the EOS, the Entrepreneur Operating System, you know, Gino Wickman. It's a really nice, um, it's a very simple operating playbook. For me, the key takeaways when you have your direct reports are same meeting, same agenda, same time, and then no one is ever late. Everyone focuses and you pay attention to what your follow-up tasks are. You know, because the idea of team or the central idea of team to me is a group of people that keep 100% of its commitments to each other. And I know we're going to fail along the way, but it's the effort and it's the discipline of showing up each time that allows you the ability to, to work together to actually overcome when someone doesn't um, live up to their commitment. Mm-hmm. So when you look at discipline, it's it's creating that ritual of meeting. I've even gone to the extent of having people that are late to our weekly meeting stand up and apologize to the rest of the team for being late. And I don't do it to embarrass anyone. I want the person to feel the weight of their commitment and their lack of fidelity to that commitment, even if it's as simple as being late to a meeting. Mm. How do you spot emerging leaders? Is it through this philosophy and approach? Is it just the little commitments? And then you see as people are disciplined and they follow through on their commitments that they are potentially a good leader for you to groom? I think there's a number of things that you have to look at because character really comes first. People can people can be highly competent and highly disciplined without being great character. And so that's not the only uh, marker. I think you see the discipline piece, but then you have to start looking at the people that are looking for more that whether they're directly asking you or their supervisors, or you can hear it in what they're saying that, hey, I've completed this task. I want to now work on more. And so you need to be ready to give them more and show them how to do it so that they can grow. Um, Great example, we had a guy who uh, previously was on the development side, the construction side of the company, and uh, was a little more project management oriented. And he was finishing his projects quickly, really wanted to uh, grow his skill set. He was formerly in the army before we hired him. And so he kept finishing and he was a high character guy. So then we invested in education forum and CAD design and helped him continue to grow that that skill set. And I think he's an example of a kind of guy that if you continue to invest in them, they will produce, you know, multiples for you as far as a return on whatever you are investing. Mm-hmm. Um, now you talk about the importance of creating opportunities for emerging leaders to lead alongside you. Um, how do you create those opportunities or is it at a growing company, there's an abundance of them? Um, and how do you ensure you're giving an emerging leader the right type of opportunity, not giving them too much? So doling it out in the right, uh, amount. So the number one, sharing your platform and then not micromanaging. So if there are larger initiatives at play, whether they're of your own device or their strategic initiatives of the company, allowing other key stakeholders to actually take lead while you support them 
You know, I think making sure your ego doesn't get in front of that because a lot of times people want, and, and I'm guilty of this sometimes too. So I'm not, you know, saying I'm free of it, but you want to make sure that your ego doesn't get in the way of someone else getting the credit for the work that they're actually doing. Even if it's your idea or you instigated it, um, you want them to take that opportunity to grow so that they can build their relational, social, political capital at the company, as well as their experience. Um, as far as making sure that they don't get crushed by it, I think you have to scope out correctly the the rules of the game for them, you know, lay out what are the key objectives that we're looking for? What are the pitfalls that we're, that we're likely going to see if we don't do X, Y, or Z, and then ask them to actually structure out an execution plan for you in writing that you can visit with them on. Um, I think something that people overlook a lot of times now and just the fast pace of business is writing things down, whether it's with your computer or in a journal. You know, when you have a plan, you need to actually write the plan down. Um, and that allows me to review it with them, give them feedback, and then ultimately know that my feedback, while I can dominate them with it, just let my feedback be feedback. Let them still make their own decisions unless it's going to bankrupt the company because you know, they need to win and lose on their own decisions. And then if they do lose, that I'm standing in the gap to make sure that I take blame for whatever mistakes were were made because ultimately it was my leadership that allowed for that mistake to happen. They shouldn't carry that because you were just giving them an opportunity to take a swing. How do you know when it's something that you should fall on the sword and when it's something that they should have known better? I think publicly you always fall on the sword. I think privately is when you admonish them. I I am a believer in, you know, pardon my French, but all shit rolls uphill. So if at the end of the day, I'm responsible for you and you make a mistake, even if it's you not listening to me, I should be a good enough manager to be able to forecast what you're likely going to do and prevent it, coach you out of it, help redeem it however possible. And if I don't do that and there's still an issue, then I need to own it. I mean, I've, I have literally on at least one occasion offered my resignation to uh, a for, to my former company because of a mistake a team member made because he said, listen, if, if the company needs a cover for it, I'll take it because mm. they were on my team. So, mm. yeah. Um, what are some of the big mistakes you see when you observe other leaders and they are grooming leaders beneath them? What mistakes do you see other leaders make or have you yourself made in grooming uh, people below you? They're far too controlling. Um, there's something called the Pygmalion effect. I don't know if you're familiar with it. I've heard of Pygmalion, but I don't think I know. What the, the... the Pygmalion effect basically distills down to the idea of people turn into who you expect them to be. Mm. You know, there's whether you read Sean Acor or you read the three laws of performance. There's all different ways that they phrase it, but it's effectively your team members turn into the type of team members you expect them to be. And so when you have leaders, myself included, that that misjudge a person's motivations and treat them incorrectly, it can cause them to underperform significantly. So let's say 
you think someone is much more of a self-starter than they actually are. And so you don't actually feel the need to get in their business as much as you need to, to get them going. They're ultimately going to fail because you're you're going to turn them into, or you're going to allow them to be this lackadaisical uh, team member. Whereas if you believe some, someone's on the team that is only showing up because they, um, they need the paycheck and they're a nine to five clock puncher, the way you treat them is all, even if they're a stud employee is ultimately going to turn them into a clock puncher because you're going to find ways to micromanage them, to be controlling. You're going to insert yourself constantly and you're going to disenfranchise them. Uh, and so I find that most leaders, when they're failing, it's because they're not setting the correct vision and then creating the environment for people to position themselves for success towards that vision. Mm. This is going to be, this is going to seem like a massive question, but you've got eight or nine different brands that the company manages, 3,000 different franchisees, you're head of operations, you've got all these different leaders responsible for these different areas. How do you juggle all of that? And is it all in its separate silos? Or do you find that there are ways in which there can be, uh, I don't know what the word is, but cross-functional, you know, where you have teams that are that are involved in all of these different areas, like, sure. you know, marketing or something, they're involved in all different areas. So you're from an operation standpoint, it simplifies it for you because you can manage that and say, you go, you cover all these different brands. Yeah. So the way we've set it up at Exponential is Exponential is basically the foundation. And then the brands are um, built upon that. And so each brand has its own autonomy to an extent. Each brand has its own president. And we want those presidents to, excuse me, make their own decisions to help craft the personality of the brand while still keeping cogent with the rest of the expo ecosystem. But we all know that, you know, we've got Club Pilates. Club Pilates allows 12 people in a location at one time. We also have Cycle Bar. Cycle Bar allows 50 people in a location at one time. You can't sell prospective members the same way in a 12-person location versus a 50-person location. And so you need to allow for the presidents and then the marketing to, to really develop that personality so that they can sell properly and grow at Exponential. So what you're talking about with consolidation of departments, we've consolidated things like construction, real estate, um, all things that don't necessarily tie into the personality of the brand, so to speak, but free up the president to focus on driving value inside of their uh, personal ecosystem, their brand. Mm -hmm. um, any final thoughts for anyone listening to this who is in operations, but also responsible for grooming um, leaders and wanting to get, create opportunities for emerging leaders within their company? Yeah, invest in yourself. Uh, you know, I think a lot of times people get so busy working or managing that they forget that they need to continue to develop and you need to find ways to do that yourself. So I'm a part of a, an organization called Gen Next, which is similar to YPO, a little different focus. Um, I constantly sit in on their talks. I read tons of books, listen to tons of podcasts 
I get up at 5 a.m. Uh, every day and I try to get a workout in. Sometimes my daughter joins me for my workout, which takes down the intensity a little bit, but makes for a fun experience. And I like to to read and take that time to really kind of soak up some knowledge to start the day. Like I'm a big fan of, there's a book called The Miracle Morning uh, by Hal Elrod. Hal's a really good friend. The The concept in there is phenomenal um, about actual self-development, which you forget about and to create this, create meaningful space for it. Um, so that, that's what I would say. That was great. Great advice. Um, Michael, this has been great. Uh, tell everyone where they can go to learn more about you, connect with you, learn more about Exponential Fitness. Sure. Yeah. Exponential, uh, our website's just exponential.com. No E at the beginning of Exponential. You can find us on all the major socials. And then I'm Mike Abramson on all the major socials as well. Um, so I appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me on. Thank you, Michael. Have a good one. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Process Breakdown Podcast. Before you go, quick question. Do you want a tool that makes it easy to document processes, procedures, and or policies for your company so that your employees have all the information they need to be successful at their job? If yes, sign up for a free 14-day trial of Sweet Process. No credit card is required to sign up. Go to sweetprocess.com, sweet like candy, and process like process.com. Go now to sweetprocess.com and sign up for your risk-free 14-day trial. Hi, this is Owen, the CEO and co-founder here at Sweet Process. If you've enjoyed listening to this podcast interview, uh, actually, you know what I want you to do? Go ahead and leave us a five-star review on iTunes. That way we get more people aware of you know, the good stuff that you get here on this podcast. Again, go on to iTunes and leave us a five-star review. Looking forward to reading your review. Have a good day. Mm-hmm.